Michael O'Sullivan, you're an Irish Jesuit. You have spent time in Chile and had to leave there under threat of death um, under Pinochet's regime. And you have followed and have been very much part of the Latin American solidarity work of the Jesuits and other people. Your reaction to the conviction for 133 years of Innocente Orlando Montano, the former colonel in the Salvadorian army, to the murder of your fellow Jesuits, their housekeeper and her daughter. I've been in El Salvador, Pat, as well, and I've been to the university where the murders took place less than two years after it, and I also was in the room where the two women were shot dead, the mother and her daughter. I I knew Ignacio Gurria personally, had him over here to Ireland uh, some years before the murders, and, um, of course, another one of the Jesuits murdered that night. Armando Lopez did his theology here in Middletown Park and was ordained here. Uh, and Ignacio Correa did his tertianship in Ireland. So there are a lot of connections that way. The reaction to the results of the trial, well, you know, obviously we're all very happy that there was a result like there, like there has been, which is to say that it has been upheld that this man, Montano, was very much involved in designing um, and carrying out the murders. He was a leading figure behind the murders and that he has been sentenced to 133 years for his role in those murders is, of course, something we can be happy about. But, you know, it has to be said, too, that um, it doesn't change the fact that these men and the two women were murdered in the prime of their lives, really, And the Jesuits, if I may say so in particular, were very influential people and had a great deal to give and they were cut off in their prime and the loss of all the good that they could have done by their premature and unjust deaths was also a tragedy for El Salvador as well as, of course, the actual deaths themselves for their relatives and for themselves. Um, So, But it is helpful at least that it was possible after all these years for this person to be tried and found guilty and that the truth as a result of the trial could come out because a lot of the truth came out that hadn't really been made public before. Uh, For example, that Cristiani, the president of the country, uh, he was educated by the Jesuits, Neo Correa, never thought, you know, shortly before they were murdered, um, there was a reconnaissance mission by some of the military and um, one of the Jesuits in the community said, Rodolfo Cardinal, who was a nephew of Ernesto and Fernando Cardinal, who were very prominent in the Nicaraguan situation, he said, you know, we're all in danger here. I think we should get out and move to, say, Santa Tecla, which was another Jesuit community. And Ia Curia felt there was no way that they would kill the Jesuits, surely. He, he felt in ways, you know, maybe a little naively, they were too important. They, they had educated Christiani, the Jesuits, the president of the country, and he would surely not stand over such an action taking place. So he said, I'm staying, and the other stayed, but Rodolfo Cardinal moved out, and so he survived. He would have been dead otherwise. So the fact, though, that some of these facts came out that they were killed because Eo Correa, director of the university, the president, you could say in US terms or whatever, he was the main figure, really, they were after, and uh, the others two were doing great work, but he was the main figure. He was trying to mediate peace between the guerrillas and the government, and a group within the government, a very right-wing group, the class of 1966, as they were called, the military graduation class of 1966, we'd say. Um, Montana was part of it, so was uh, Ponce, 
who was very much involved in authorising the murders, designing and carrying, having the carrying out of the murders as well, and he died a couple of years ago, so he couldn't be brought to trial. But Roberto Dobison was also part of that class of 1966, and Roberto Dobison was the head of the death squads in El Salvador, and he was the person who really organised and uh, was the architect, so to speak, of the murder of Archbishop Bosco Romero in 1980, nine years before the Jesuits were murdered. So there was a group of them in the military in that class of 1966 who were very much in that, of that mindset, very reactionary, very repressive. And they were afraid that if the war was lost, that they would all lose a lot of advantages they had. And so they didn't really want peace, they wanted conquest. And they saw Iokuria then standing in the way of their desires and felt that he needed to be taken out. And so a group of them met and decided to take him out and to take out anyone else who was there as well. And so the other Jesuits were killed as well, and they were also very intervention in their own right in the struggle, but they were killed too. And then the two women were killed because as they were at the cattle battalion was leaving the building, a noise was heard in one of the rooms, and apparently the door kicked in. And I, I was there, and you could see still the blood stains in the ceiling because the guns that were used to kill them were high-velocity bullets. They couldn't get all the blood out of the ceiling afterwards. Uh, now, the Atla Cattle Battalion was trained by the United States... And so there is a big role. Now, I've been interested that there hasn't been very much publicity in the United States about, the, about very this little comment. outcome. Very little comment. And the United States was very heavily involved. There was nearly $4 billion spent by the United States on what was happening in El Salvador, supporting the military and all that, just prior to the murders. So that changed after the murders because there was such an international outcry. And in the States, Joe Moakley, a congressman in the United States, led an inquiry into the killings and brought a lot of publicity to bear on them. And that helped really to lead to the peace treaties that were, were brokered and uh, also to a desire to really get to the bottom of what had happened that night because to kill six Jesuits, and there were six of them killed, five were Spanish, but there were actually six Jesuits killed, the other being El Salvadoran. And to, and to, to kill these people like that, high-profile people, it wasn't going to just lie dead afterwards, so to speak. He was going to be very much focused on, and it was. And it helped, they say, to bring about the peace in El Salvador because of all the outrage over the killing of these people. Focused a lot of attention in El Salvador on the war there and the situation there. And this helped, actually, then to bring about the peace treaty that came about. That was in 1991-92. And then, in 1991, then, some of the people who were involved... They were charged with the killings, lower-down people, but not too low-down either. But one of them was Lieutenant Mendoza. And then 1993, with the peace treaty, there was an amnesty for those involved in these kinds of killings. And so Mendoza and Colonel Benavides was also charged with the time with being involved in these killings because they actually had to find some people because of all the outcry and the focus on it. So these two people, if you like, were selected out, Benavides and Mendoza. And they both went to prison from 91 to 93. But then the amnesty was brought in 93 as part of the peace treaty. They were then freed. And Mendoza went to Chile, where he's now a citizen. And he was a big cooperative witness in the trial against Montano in Spain. What had actually happened, that there had been a meeting between the high military command in El Salvador and a decision taken to kill the Jesuits. He brought that out at the trial. He also brought out the fact that um, Cristiani had to have been involved because there was no way the army would have gone ahead with the killings if he was going to oppose it. So he must have at least let it happen. So why was Montano then not part of the amnesty? Was it because he was never charged in the first place or was it because the Spanish government were not prepared to honour that amnesty? Well, Montano fled, the, fled, I suppose you could say, to the United States and entered the United States illegally, and he was eventually arrested on immigration charges then. 
And so he was over in the States in prison in 2011. And uh, that was when the Spanish moved to get him extraditors. And it took a few years because of all the appeals and the holdups and whatever. So then the Spanish were able to get him extraditors uh, from the United States eventually. And that's how the trial came to be and all that came out of that. Another friend of the Jesuits there wrote in America magazine this week that yeah. Manuel Acosta, that the healing could now begin. Yeah. Is that how you see it, Michael? Well, yes and no. You know, I mean, a lot of the healing can't be fully completed. I mean, the, the tragedy was so great and the loss of these people was so considerable that while a certain amount of healing is brought about by the outcome of this trial, and that's very welcome, you know, there's a legacy there that just won't go away. And there's a lot of problems still in El Salvador. Some other people involved in the killings are still not able to be arrested because they are resisting being being tracked down there. So there's a lot of discontent about that. The government doesn't seem to feel strong enough to be able to move against others that they know were involved in the killings. So to that extent, the situation hasn't been fully resolved. But I, yeah, I, I, yeah, there is some he- some amount of healing, and that's very welcome. And the relatives have said that they have welcomed very much the outcome of the trial in that in that sense, and uh, others also in El Salvador. But uh, and the persistence lot. of the Spanish government in yeah, standing over, because one wonders if it had just been Salvadorian Jesuits, no. there never would have been justice. No, I don't think so. It was really because five of the six Jesuits were murdered were Spanish that the Spanish then was in the position to invoke the principle of universal jurisdiction, which is a legal principle whereby people who commit human rights atrocities in one country can be tried in another. So actually Montana was only tried for the murder of the five Jesuits. He couldn't be tried for the murder of the El Salvadoran Jesuit and he couldn't be tried for the murder of the two women. But uh, obviously then the, their deaths too got focused on, but he's actually, his sentence is only for the murder of the five Spanish Jesuits. As you say, it was so many years ago, back in 1989, November 16th. It does send out a message though, doesn't it? I mean, this is 2020. Mm-hmm. You still can be caught, you still can be mm-hmm. held to account. Yes, I mean, it's, it is helpful. So that when people do these kinds of atrocities now anywhere in the world, they must know that, uh, you know, at some time in the future, they may be caught for their activities. And that, I think, can act as a bit of a break. Though I think when people are caught up in these kinds of situations, they're not thinking ahead to that extent. So I don't know how much it really is, acts as a break on such activity. Was it has some value and must have some effect, all, all, all right. We look at Donald Trump now, and one of the reasons why he has to get re-elected is because when he ceases to be president of the country, he, there's a lot of things that would be brought against him as a citizen. And he thinks he can keep going and prevent that happening by getting in again for another four years and we'll see where things are in another four years. Maybe he'll try and get everything changed, make it impossible to get him after that. But, but it but is a message for maybe people who do believe in justice, who do believe in civil rights and human rights mm-hmm. and the rule of law. It It is a day of hope for them that at least the world can hold to account people who do such dreadful things. Yeah, it is to an extent, Pat, I would say. You know, certainly, obviously, it is to an extent. But the extent to which people in these situations feel they have to kill other people to protect their interests, I don't think they're thinking ahead sufficiently at those times and saying, you know, in 20 years' time or 30 years' time, we might be got for this. They're just so caught up at that time in the situation that that's what really ruins their way of behaving. But on the other hand, I think what is very important, though, is that these trials are very important because they do give a chance for witnesses to speak, for the truth to come out, 
and a greater understanding then emerges as to what happened and why it happened and how perhaps then in the light of that knowledge gained these things could perhaps be averted in the future to some extent at least and there is some consolation for relatives and friends and all that because they had many friends because of all the good work they were doing there's some consolation for them in seeing this person sentenced in this way for what he for his role in these murders but you know there's still pain there when i back in chile and i had worked for some years I met with people who I had known in earlier times when I was there, and that was one of the things that came through to me very clearly, that while the situation after General Pinochet had been ousted had improved greatly, the legacy of the pain from the past, a lot of that's still there, people still carried it, and there's only so much that bringing these people to justice does towards that pain.